is the one who's sovereign. He's the one who is the head, not the tail. And when the spirit of the sovereign Lord comes upon us, he gives us that ability to be sovereign, to not be carried along, not to be a puppet dancing to someone else's tune, but to actually be empowered to choose, to choose the way to go. This is the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. When someone has died or when we've lost something that's close to us, naturally there is... There is no way out. That thing has happened. That has happened. I can't change that. But God's saying he can give us the tools to actually equip people to be glad for him in their mourning. To be glad and able to praise when they're without hope. This morning, if you feel without hope, then my prayer is as we look through all of this stuff, we'll come again to that place of realizing that it's the enemy who wants us to believe there's nothing we can do about it. It's the enemy who says that we're boxed in. It's the enemy that says that I cannot change. It's the enemy that says you'll always be like this. And God says, you can change. Take my hand. You will be called Oaks of Righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So this is the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. What, a, what an interesting pairing that is. I quite like thinking about God's favor. I'm not so keen on his vengeance. Anyone else feel like that sometimes? like to think of God being the kind of God that, that kind of uh, it shows favor. Uh, but, you know, the vengeance thing, what's that all about? His vengeance is against everything that would bind us up. His vengeance is against every lie of the enemy that has sought to pull you down in your life and stop you from walking free into the thing that he has for you. His vengeance is against the, the spirit of this age that's all about what can I get rather than what can I give. His, that's his vengeance. His vengeance is against the spiritual powers that hold people back. And it's going to be complete. The year of the Lord's favor. Is that about, well, you know, sometimes, you know, you get a bit stuck and in a corner and you, you phone someone up and say, could, could you just do me a favor? What I need you to do is, and because you've been nice to them over a long period of time, Maybe they'll, maybe they'll let you off, or maybe they'll, yeah, yeah I, could, I could probably, you know, you need a lift, lift to Heathrow? I could probably get you as far as uh, probably Ilford Town Centre, probably. Um, uh, maybe Redbridge Roundabout, and then you could just get the tube, maybe, from there. Is that what favour is all about? No. The word for favour, it, it's, it's really um, 
an Old Testament word for grace. It's, it's about his undeserved goodness to us. Um, and it's not a 365-day period, because if it was, we'd be a bit stuffed by now. This year of the Lord's favor has started. And it's carrying on. These are the days of his grace. It's a day of his grace. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, and working together with him, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time, and now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Man's been under a curse for long enough. The good news is that God has restored to us the ability to choose that he first gave us in Genesis 2. That ability to see things and to say, that thing is good for me, I'm going to go for it. That thing is not good for me, I'm not going to go there. We have a saying about time management. Master time or it will master you. You know, there is a, there's a truth in that, that with these things, we need to allow God's grace to work in us. Otherwise, the very thing that we see as being innocent and just fun becomes something that becomes, has a mastery over us. We feel as though we can steer our own path, but the boat is potentially out of control and heading for the rocks. We, from the very beginning, everyone, everyone you know, everyone you know at work, everyone you see around you here, everyone you saw in Tesco's the other day, everyone you see in the street, has been made for that divine connection. To walk with him in that garden. To have him close. We don't always live like that. And many of those around us don't even know that they could walk like that. So this is the time to announce the season of grace, the year of the Lord's favour, his undeserved goodness. It's available to everyone who would come near. And it's, a strength to, it's available to put strength in those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. John Piper writes... Uh, it says that salvation is like a house that you live in. What do I mean by salvation? I mean when God connects us with him, he does it freely. He connects us up, and he gives us a place to live, a whole new place to live. He's given it to us. It never decays or crumbles. Its windows open onto the vistas of glory. God built it at great cost to himself and to his son, and he gave it to you. The purchase agreement is called a new covenant. The terms read, the house shall become and remain yours if you'll receive it as a gift and take delight in the Father and the Son as they inhabit the house with you. It would be foolish when we had that to look at the agreement and then try and hire a lawyer to work out how we might pay back, set up a mortgage so we could really own the house. We'd be treating the house as if it was no longer a gift, God's no longer our free benefactor. And we'd be totally putting on a whole new set of demands that God never intended us to have. Isn't it interesting that this, I've, I've got this to share, but you know, that's part of the root of being a workaholic, 
is feeling that somehow this gift of grace that God has given me, that I've got to, I've got to earn it. But you haven't. You never could. You live in a much bigger, more spacious place than you could ever afford it to pay. Because you haven't bought it with your own money. Jesus hasn't paid for it for you. So let's, let's remember that. And um, I want to I go on to just look at um, a story, and I've used these slides before. This is the magpie again. Um, but I want to come to the story of the prodigal son or the parable of the waiting father, or the parable of the lost son. It's called many things. But I just want to tell you the story again, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit more, because I believe that for many of us, we can get caught up in a house that we couldn't possibly afford trying to pay for it. There was once a man who had two sons, I didn't do the pictures. One day, the younger son went to his father and said, Dad, when you die, you're going to leave me a ton of cash. That's the kind of comment that a child can make to you that really warms your heart. (laughs) In my case, it would also show a a strange disconnect with reality. (laughs) So... (laughs) Give me my half now. What a great attitude. I can't wait until you're dead, Father. Okay, says the Father. It's your choice. Well, he hasn't got his head screwed on, has he? So, sometime later, the son goes away and goes to a far off country. He got together all he had and set off and um, squandered his wealth on wild living. Mm, those are that's money going by. Yeah. Yeah. But what happened next? It's very bad news. It's famine. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in need. Of course, he was always in need, but that was when he noticed it. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of the country and decided to feed some pigs for a living. He actually was so hungry, he wanted to eat what they had. Now, here's the hope. Finally, he comes to his senses comes to his senses. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me one like one of your hired men. See, I believe what God wants to remind us of this morning, that in that place of disconnect... In that place of dysfunction, in that place of distance, in that place of despair, God's at work. So here he is in the midst of all he is, 
wanting to get on with something, eat something. But God's at work in his heart. And he gives him that revelation. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now in this story we understand that it's a story and the story has weaknesses. It's a picture of something that God wants us to understand about our relationship with him. But in this amazing story, God's at work in the pigsty. And so he heads home to Father. Now the truth of the matter is that he's ready to take any position when he gets there. But that what God has for him is something quite different. It's only when we come back to him from that position of saying, if I perish, I perish. When we're saying, whatever it takes, I'm going to follow you. That's when we can come back to the father's house. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to the son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. forward to that, Owen. No. There's no half-heartedness about this. When we come back to the Father, there's no kind of, well, you know, I did see this thing was happening and I was a bit worried about it and, well, you know, you shouldn't really have done it. This is a wholehearted acceptance an acceptance of him. The artist has drawn um, the father losing his shoes because he's running so quick. You ever had that experience? No, just me then. have some very dodgy, I'll come back to them in a minute, but I have some very dodgy um, sandals that I like to use on the beach. But the trouble is if I run in them, that's not a very frequent occasion, I appreciate. They tend to fly off in all directions. So his journey there, I reckon, is pretty uncomfortable, but he's heading for the one who's come home. So, and the son says his piece. But the father's response, the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the, happen, bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine is dead, was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then began to celebrate. Now here's the thing. You could be in the pigsty and feel you had no choice. And the enemy would want you to stay sitting wherever you are forever Hungry, bored, not in a place. 
not in the place that God has for you. And the point is that God has for us the ministry of bringing people into that reconnection, bringing, quickening the grace in them that they can come to their senses. There's like a aha. And it's not in the head. It's got to be in the heart. It's got to be something that God does inside. Each of these things represents something. The father's first reaction is to cover up his son with a robe. Not any old robe, but the robe. There would have been a special robe in the father's house that was for guests if they'd forgotten one. It's a special robe of honor. And it's a robe that covers him up. He's, he's been in a pigsty, guys. He looks a real state. But immediately the father sees him. He covers him up, makes him look better. But he puts it on him. In fact, in this story, we need to be putting a robe on people by declaration. By declaration. It's what, what do you see in that person? God, let me help put on the robe. The ring represents a covenant, the covenant that God has made. The ring, you know, I, I wear a ring. 22 years ago, nearly, uh, it went on, and, uh, and my fingers actually change shape now where it goes. <laughs> That's, that's, that's how weird it is. It's really weird. I don't actually need to wear it now because I've just got a skin one underneath. But when you, when you exchange a ring in a marriage ceremony, you say that it's a sign of the, of the covenant. And in the same way, this covenant, this ring is about a covenant, a never-ending promise that the father has remembered he made with the son. And he's bringing him back into the center of that promise. Now, another story about the beach, my special sandals. Has anyone got very sensitive feet when you're on a pebbly beach? Yeah, hands up if you don't like pebbly beaches. Now, for about, I like pebbly beaches, but I don't like them. I like the fact there's things to do, like you can make piles of stones, I guess, <laughs> really. I like the fact you can go and look around for nice-looking ones and, and, and pick them up and put them in a bucket and then take them home when you finish. <laughs> Maybe put them in your dad's rucksack when he's not noticing. <laughs> and then, as he walks around after lunch, wonders why the bag's still so heavy, and then discovers the rock when we get back to the home. I like stony beaches, but I find them really hard to walk on because I have very delicate feet. Sandals give us the ability to stand upright. Put your sandals on, you can walk like this across the stony beach. And there's, well, maybe you don't want to walk like that. <laughs> PJ would never walk like that. But you can walk securely. Um, when prisoners were, or when captives were taken, soldiers were taken, they took their sandals off. So it made it difficult for them to fight because they couldn't kind of get their footing. Because they're so 
You can imagine all these book soldiers worrying about pebbles on the beach. Well, it's like me. It's just, no, maybe not like me. But there's an ability when we get our sandals back to walk securely without stumbling. And, um, and the poor fattened calf, well, it's not good news for him, but it is good news for the son. It talks about plenteous provision for the father, for the son, and all the servants in the house. Everyone's having a feast, because this son of mine that was dead is alive. Now, this is the bit of the story which we always think about. Well, I don't know whether we always think about it. This is the bit of the story which particularly speaks to me. But you know, the power of choice is right the way through this. So this son has got his inheritance, and he's chosen what he's going to do with it. He's chosen to go and make a mess of himself. But in the pigsty, he chooses to do something about it. And because of that choice, he comes back and he's restored. Don't ever let the enemy tell you you have no choice. Because whatever you're facing... You have a choice. The father has celebrated about this son who was dead and is now alive. The older brother, meanwhile, is still getting on with keeping the show going. And um, he's still out in the field. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. When he came near the house... He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And they said, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Was the older son in the field because of a choice? Or was he just doing what he felt he had to do? The son who'd stayed at home, there he is, getting on, doing the right thing. But he's, and he's living in the midst of everything. But he's not, got, he's not making choices. Let me continue with the story and it will become clearer. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, all these years I've been slaving for you. Slaving, it's an interesting choice of word for a son to a father. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, you were always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There is something desperately, desperately sad for me in this story about the, old, the older son. 
the desperately sad thing is he's living there in the midst of everything. In the midst of all the provision that the Father has for him. He's, he's got everything he could possibly want and the freedom to choose exactly what he needs to do. But actually, he's not making choices. He's slaving away and doing what he's told. The enemy is so determined to remove from us the sense, the power to choose, that he can do it in the midst of God's provision. So we need to be absolutely alert to when we sense ourselves falling into that position of, well, I can't do that. I'm a victim. That's how I am. This is me. Both sons are living in a mess. One has rejected the father and left his house. He wished he was dead, frankly. So that's not pretty good. And the other has been living in the midst of the provision of the father in this glorious house that God has provided him with, but tried to pay the mortgage off. But isn't it interesting that the father goes to meet both of them? The son, when he's a long way off, coming from afar in rags, is met on the way. The son who's out in the field is met by the father. Both sons are being pulled around by circumstance. Dancers to someone else's tune. The younger son's left, left home and been drawn aside by sinful attitudes and actions. But you know what? The older son has stayed put had the same problem. Different sinful attitudes, but nonetheless sinful. The issue comes from our heart. God is anointing us to bring good news that this is the year of the Lord's favour. This is the year when the captives are set free. This is the year when we are empowered to choose to do what he has for us. And don't let the enemy say anything else to you. This, is, this, is all about, this has been all about stories out there, and I want you to understand that this is a very much a living word for me. Um, I have been going through an interesting patch of time myself with um, God allowing my sleep patterns to be challenged and various other things to impact me. And uh, just at the end of last week, um, having had a whole load of stuff going on um, at school already, had a call from my, the primary school where I'm a governor and had to do an inspection interviewee type thing to represent the entire governing body and was feeling a tad stressed on Thursday night as I went to sleep because... because because I didn't choose to trust in him. And here, here's the thing. So I, 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 God gave me the uh, wisdom to say, hey, education group, pray for me. And, um, and I got a number of replies. I'd asked them to pray, by the way, at 8 o'clock in the morning when I was 
going for the meeting at 8.30, so it was kind of last minute, but uh, God put that on my heart to do. And I got a text from someone. They picked up from my email that what I was bothered about was my performance. Because what I didn't want to do was to let down the governing body in some way. I felt I've got to represent them, so I've got to go along, I've got to do a good job. And their text very helpfully said that she was, that she was praying that I would be able to focus less on my own performance, but communicate what God is saying and asks you to say. And I thought, hey, that's interesting. So it really doesn't matter what they think of me, it's what God thinks of me. Oh yeah, I kind of know that. So, this is, this is what I believe God is saying to us. That for some, we're going to find people that are living in pigsties. And God's going to enable us to see them set free from that. But I also think there are some amongst us that feel more like this. This comes from Haggai 1.6. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in. My goodness me, what a mess that is. And that's the, that's the role of the older son. I think that's what he feels like, to be honest. There he is, getting on, doing his thing. Goes on to say, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, whilst each one of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens withheld their dew and the earth its crops. So, what house does God want us to be focusing on? God wants us to be focusing on building his house. Not on appearance, not on what others think of me or you. God wants us to be free to make the choice. To make the choice to go his way. And don't let the enemy say anything else to you. You are not a captive. Christ can set you free. See, is this touching anything? Why I said that. This is really nearly finished what I wanted to say. But I feel this is a really heavy thing actually, that there's 
there is something that God wants us to understand about the starting block, about uh, the t- season that we're in. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. You have the power to choose. God has given you the power to choose. What I'm commanding you today, Deuteronomy 30, is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not in heaven so that you have to ask who may ascend to heaven and get it and proclaim it to us that we obey it. Nor is it across the sea so you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it. No, the word is very near you. In fact, the word is in your mouth and your heart so you may obey it. Today I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So we have the power to choose. And there comes a point when one road goes one way, one road goes another. Now, fortunately, that analogy works to a certain point, but I also understand from my own experience that if this is God's way and this is my way, if I do go that way and I find myself somewhere along here and I come to my senses in a pigsty, there is a road back. It means turning around. It means walking back. And we call that thing repentance. God's calling us and our young people and some of us that are older. I don't know why I said the younger people, but I just have that sense that God wants this to be a generation that are not dancers carried along by the whims of the media and those around them. God's calling you to be an oak of righteousness. An oak. Why an oak? Do you know there are trees in the forest where I was the other day that were alive when I was born? There are trees in that forest that will be alive when I'm, when I'm not here anymore. There are trees that last. They're amongst the longest living, they are the longest living thing, aren't they? I don't know whether the oak tree is. I don't think it is. But I think what it's saying is that as an oak of righteousness, you're strong, dependable. And you have a long life in him. Recently, there's been a lot of wind, hasn't there? Gales and storms and things. And as I was walking through the forest, I noticed how there were some trees that were still standing. Obviously, thought it would be a bit difficult to walk. But every now and then, you get a tree that had been blown right over. And if I'd gone in the forest before the storm had come, I probably couldn't have noticed any particular difference between the tree that has fallen over and the tree that has stood up. But you know, if you're a planting of the Lord, you're not going to get knocked over. Where God has placed you, 
the roots are strong. And God's called us to display his splendor, not in a pigsty, but when we live in his house. And we live in his house as a son. So, let's, let's just pray. Lord, we take seriously your word. We see that you do have a, a ministry for us to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of your favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Lord, we, we hear those words and they are so familiar. But Lord, we want to allow them to sink from our heads to our hearts. Father, we want to reach those who are locked in and a victim of what has happened and show them the way that you provide. We grab hold of those ropes of hope ahead of us. And we were poor. Lord, we thank you that you are at work. We thank you that your word stands forever. Father, where there are stirrings amongst us today, just open our hearts to you. We speak against the spirit of despair. We celebrate that this is the day of vengeance of our God. We celebrate that every contention that would set itself against would set itself against your work in our brothers and sisters' lives. Lord, that you would crush it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we confront despair. And we say that in you there is hope. Father, help us. Bring your life. Thank you, Lord. I think that for some... I'm just going to take a response now. I think that for some, you felt trapped in to a certain way of thinking, pattern of being. And God wants you to understand today that you have a choice. And, and if that is you, I'd like to pray for you. So, could you just indicate to me if you'd like me to pray for God to release that. Okay, one, two, four. Okay. Right, okay. A number of people. 
Okay, look, let's, let's stand, please. And we're going to pray for those now who are responding about this issue of choice. I'd like you to, if, again, can you just indicate to me, those of you that are reaching out to God, if you're near one of those people, place your hands on them. And we're going to ask God to come and help us. Father, we cry out to you. We cry out to you and say that he who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. That we do not need to be bound up by the expectations of others, bound up by uh, our own experience, our own hurts. Father, you can set us free. Father, I declare freedom over these that are responding this morning. Lord, from that very beginning, as you created us in the garden and you spoke to us of the trees that we could eat from, Lord, you created us with that innate ability to choose to do the right thing. Father, where there are people that are wrestling with whether to do the right thing or not, Father, I ask you to release your grace and power that you might set them free to be the people that you have them to be. In the name of Jesus. Amen.